Dominus Vobiscum, Sequentia Sancti Evangelii, Secundum Lucam, When all the people asked John, what must we do? He answered, if anyone has two tunics, he must share with the man who has none. And the one with something to eat must do the same. There were tax collectors too who came for baptism. And these said to him, Master, what must we do? He said to them, exact no more than your rate. Some soldiers asked him in their turn, what about us? What must we do? He said to them, no intimidation, no extortion. Be content with your pay. A feeling of expectancy had grown among the people who were beginning to think that John might be the Christ. So John declared before them all, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming, someone who is more powerful than I am, and I am not fit to undo the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn in a fire that will never go out. As well as this, there were many other things he said to exhort the people and to announce the good news to them. Verbum Domini. St. John the Baptist appeared at the River Jordan unexpectedly, dressed in camel skin, with a very meager diet, locusts, wild honey, and water. And he came preaching a gospel of repentance. He spoke about the acts that was already laid to the root of the trees. He called the Pharisees who came to the Jordan a set of vipers. The people, his language is a little more gentle, but nonetheless he warned them that unless they repented, they would perish. He worked no signs, he just preached. When asked who he was, he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He says that he is not the light, but only a witness to the light. He called himself the voice, not the word, not even the sound, but the voice. And like every voice, it is heard briefly and then fades away. 
But what the voice carries is the word. And the voice carries the word from one heart to another. In many of the hearts that heard the Baptist, the word settled and there was a change. The change is expressed in what the people ask John. What must we do? And again and again, there is this echo of it in the New Testament. What must we do? A rich young man came to the Lord, knelt before him and said, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Cornelius asked Peter, what must I do? All through the ages, this question rings out again and again. And today, it still rings out. What must we do to inherit eternal life? It can't be what we're doing now, just drifting along, taking each day as it comes. We hear voices that say salvation is free and God is merciful and that is all that we need to know. We need do nothing else except believe. St. James answers that position very clearly. The devils believe, but they tremble. So then, what must we do? And three classes of people ask the Baptist this question. First of all, the ordinary people, then the tax collectors or public sinners, and then the military, the soldiers. To the ordinary people, the Baptist responds, works of charity, or specifically, the corporal works of mercy. The man who has two tunics must share with the man who has none. In other words, clothe the naked, which is one of the works of mercy that our Lord speaks about in the 25th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel. Feed the hungry, which is another one that St. John mentions. And the one who has something to eat must do the same, share. So the first corporal work of mercy is to feed the hungry. Then drink to the thirsty. Clothe the naked and welcome the stranger. Visit the sick and the imprisoned. Bury the dead. These are the seven works of mercy that we are called to perform if we are to have everlasting life. Because specifically, our Lord says in the 25th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, whenever you've done these things, to the least of these, you've done it to me. Having done it to him, he promises eternal life. Come, you whom my Father has blessed, take for your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. When the tax collectors, the public sinners, come and ask, Master, what must we do? 
he turns to their profession exact no more than your rate do not cheat embezzle or another way do your job properly this our lady spoke about at Fatima she called it fidelity to daily duty and then soldiers what about us what must we do and again the Baptist focuses on the work that they do no intimidation or extortion do not rob people be content with what you have a feeling of expectancy had grown and, and the people began to think yes that John might be the Christ but John is only the voice he makes no attempt to claim the dignity of being the word he's only the friend of the bridegroom he does not claim to be the bridegroom even though the people thought he might be he takes no advantage of their error of their mistake but rather he compares what he is doing with what Christ is doing I baptize with water someone is coming someone more powerful than I am I'm not fit even to undo the straps of his sandals and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire this of course would happen on Pentecost to the Apostles and it would happen to us when we are confirmed but the Baptist doesn't end there he goes on to describe the judgment that is to come his winnowing fan is in his hand to clear his threshing floor so when the wheat has been threshed and the chaff remains behind with the seed a fan is used so that the lighter chaff might be blown away and the wheat the good seed is left this being gathered into the barns the chaff however the rubbish what will he do with it we're told he will burn it in a fire that will never go out the chaff represents those who have failed to fulfill the principles the duties of the corporal and spiritual works of mercy and consequently they have no use to the Lord they to be burnt in a fire that will never go out and then of course today we hear those who say this is harsh a harsh judgment and we don't like to hear these things after all who wants to hear about hell well nobody wants to hear about hell except those who get there and then wish they had heard about it but it is a reality spoken of by St. John and spoken of by our Lord when he gave us the seven the six corporal works of mercy depart from me you whom you accursed for I was hungry thirsty etc and you gave me nothing when Lord did we see you in need didn't come to your help whenever you failed to do this the least of my brethren and he said they will go to everlasting punishment so this, the corporal works of mercy are necessary for us 
But also, there, is, there are the spiritual works of mercy, which are even more necessary today than the corporal works. For the simple reason that so much of the corporal works of mercy are taken over by the state. It does not exempt us, however, but the state that has, in fact, taken over much of them. The spiritual works of mercy, however, are undone, and they also are seven in number. The first is to instruct the ignorant. And Lord knows how many people are ignorant of the truths of faith or of the requirements for salvation. Even the people who spoke to John didn't know. What must we do? So it is incumbent upon those who first and foremost are in the position of teachers to teach. And then each of us in our own rank has an obligation to instruct the ignorant. And what do we instruct them about? Essentially the moral law, that it is wrong to kill the unborn, it is wrong to take innocent life, it is wrong to steal, and so on. We also need to counsel the doubtful, because many people are in doubt as to the in regards to the complexities of the moral life today, such as IVF, in vitro fertilization, or surrogacy, or even contraception. So we give them counsel, which of course is a gift of the spirit. In other words, we place before them the truths of faith. Those we sin, and inevitably, we suffer the consequences of our sin. And so we are sorrowful. Sorrowful because our lives are not what they ought to be, and we're struggling with some temptation, and we're at the point of giving up. What more could we ask than for someone to console us, to comfort us? in the midst of all of this. But particularly difficult today is the fourth spiritual work of mercy. That is to admonish the sinner or to warn the sinner, to place before the sinner the consequences of sin. Immediately you hear the words, who am I to judge? Who are you to judge? Nonetheless, it's still incumbent upon us to warn those who are in sin. For instance, those who are living together, that this is fornication, a mortal sin. Those who commit adultery. The other three spiritual works of mercy, all of us, without exception, are obliged to perform. They are to bear wrongs patiently. If we attempt to put any of those four previous works, spiritual works of mercy, into act, you can bet we're going to be abused, insulted, even in some cases persecuted. 
But wrong, the wrong that we suffer, all the Lord asks us to do is to bear it patiently. It must come to an end. And then when we've been wronged, we have to forgive. That is the sixth, forgive offenses willingly. How do we forgive? Well, remember Christ who was crucified? His first word from the cross, on the cross, Father, forgive. They do not know what they're doing. Equally, Stephen, when being stoned, Lord Jesus, do not hold this sin against them. And this is what we ourselves have to imitate. And do not think that forgiveness is just once, but necessarily it has to be over and over and over again. And consequently, all of us are called to this. And then lastly, to pray for the living and the dead. Praying for the living and dead is necessary. In every Mass, we pray for the living and the dead. But I think particularly in our time, we have to pray for those who are spiritually dead. And we read about those in the book of the Apocalypse, where the Lord says, I know you have a reputation for being alive, but in fact you are dead. Because even though we have the life of the body, what really matters what is really important is the life of the soul. That is, to live in God's grace. And so when the people, the soldiers, tax collectors, come to John and ask the question, Master, what are we to do? We can do no better than to echo their question and ask the Lord, what does he want us to do today to save our soul? With the inauguration of the year of mercy this is an opportunity for us to live out the year of mercy by practicing the corporal and spiritual works of mercy in so far as it is within our ability and our competence but certainly for all of us to bear wrongs patiently to forgive offenses and to pray for the living and the dead for all of us this is our daily task. May the Lord who gives us grace sufficient to fulfill the duties of our state bless our undertakings and make them fruitful even unto eternal life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.